This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. He's yelling at me. I was not yelling at you. Say good morning. <laughs> good morning, Rutherford County. Um, there's a lot of good things and a lot of things that are not so good. I've got uh, two uh, friends in the hospital right now, and uh, I just want to say hi to Lee Young, who uh, his mama and I, we all grew up together, but Lee has been with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department for a many many years still is and uh he he was our dog person greg uh and uh he would train dogs better than anybody i've ever seen in fact he could he had dogs that actually could open the door and get in i mean and, and close the door believe it or not so how did they carry their key uh he usually kept it in in his dog pocket you, you know, there is such a thing. And Pee Wee McPeak, Pee Wee was uh, with our uh, Sheriff's Department many, many years ago and continued on, and and uh, he's got the same problem. And uh, just want to say hi to both of them. Uh, they both mean a lot to me and have done a lot for Rutherford County. And uh, you would see Lee out on the interstate um, stopping cars and the dog that he had could do many things. He was well-versed on almost any type of situation. But uh, I can remember one where he uh, he linked on to the aroma coming from a uh, RV, and uh, it was carrying drugs, but it, they had remodeled the, the undercarriage where you couldn't find it by just by looking and you had to have something to give you the right uh, to go into the vehicle and maybe dismantle it a little bit. And uh, one of the best we've ever had. And people got where they really didn't want to come through Rutherford County, it, especially, you, you know, the thing that would go on where all the uh, entertainers would be just a little bit outside our county. Bonnaroo. Yes, a lot of them would carry it. And uh, it, it was a... It, it kept a lot of drugs out of our uh, county. And um, what was the first li uh, like for you, the first of our year? Did, did you feel more comfortable knowing that it was going to be 2021 than it was 2020? No. You know, I didn't either. I thought it was going to go away and going to be a, a, a big deal. Our regular listeners know that on Monday, uh, Greg Tucker is here. In case someone was listening, wondering who, I thought I better identify myself. I only said Greg, didn't I? 
<laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't say Greg Tucker. I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Well, but you know what? I've gotten so used to you. You're like a brother to me. We yeah, are, yeah. Yeah, we are like brothers. Yeah, you're the older one though. Uh, j just a tiny bit, a, a, a couple years. Four. Four years. <laughs> um, and you, you know, it's not just the two of us. Your sweet wife, she keeps up with us. And if we do anything wrong or uh, maybe we need to know something's going on, um, she lets us know. And of course, she's smarter than the, than both of us too. No question. You looked at me. Ah, you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> no question about how, that. How was your dinner? Which dinner? The 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 welcoming into the new year dinner. Did you have the hog jaw, the cabbage, we, all that stuff that goes with it? We didn't have the hog jaw. I understand yours didn't turn out that well. Oh, that, you're not supposed to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but we always enjoy the black-eyed peas. Yeah. And the other traditional. We had some chicken with it, and uh, I believe there was some cabbage somewhere in the weekend. Yeah. Cabbage is all usually one of my favorite foods. Oh, well, in my brief single life, I found out that cabbage was the cheapest uh, vegetable at the store, so I ate a lot of cabbage. Huh. But it, was it a special New Year? Of course, you, you had the princess with you. Yeah, the granddaughter made, uh -huh. the, made the New Year's. She spent New Year's Day and then uh, Sunday, two days later, with us. Uh -huh. So uh, we enjoyed the weekend very much. Now, uh, you're, you're not poor people, as we know. But it's my understanding that she spent a lot of time outside without shoes on. <laughs> she runs barefoot is <laughs> all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> she I, does, the that, little one. You know, it's funny. Every time I mention her name or, or her title as princess, you light up. Now, yeah. what is it? Brings a smile. Now, listen, anybody who's had a granddaughter, yeah. particularly the first one, yeah. uh, knows exactly the feeling. Yeah. Now, what have you been, what, what are we doing today besides just goofing off a little bit? Goofing off a little bit? Well, uh, there's an anniversary that uh, I'm aware of that uh, we've never really focused on uh, in January. Mm. Not today, but January 31st was the day they opened a business on the square, which I'm fairly confident is the longest continuous running business on the courthouse square in Murfreesboro. Hmm. Is it a uh, uh, clothing store no. or is it a, an eatery of some type? No, no. Uh, January 31st, 1948. Which means that uh, 60, 52, 67. Did you take math in school? I yeah. had to. 75, okay. Closing in on 75 years. West side of the square. It was the former home of the Jetun Grocery. And uh, what's interesting, I, I came across this in the newspaper years ago and then recently came across it in the file. Uh, it's interesting that there were several names involved uh, that 
I was not familiar with until I did a little research. But Raleigh Holden Sr. Mm-hmm. founded the business. Uh, his son, of course, Raleigh Holden Jr., mm-hmm. is still hardware. the business. Yeah. Yeah. The hardware store. Holden Hardware, if you can't find anything anywhere else, they've got it somewhere in their basement, yeah. if not up on the upper floor. Uh, but there was a Horace Holden, previously uh, worked with the 68 Tire Company, was a part of it as well as Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Raleigh Sr. had previously worked with the Wilson Sporting Goods Company. And uh, they had another Cecil Holden who was involved at least short term there. Uh, he had been associated, uh, then they had a John Brown associated with the hardware business in Murfreesboro most of his life. So they certainly had experienced people. Uh, they gave uh, to bring people into the store on that opening day, they had grand opening prizes, cash prizes. Hmm. $5, $10, and the big one, $15. Uh, apparently had some kind of drawing. Uh, That's a lot of money back then. Back then, you could buy a few things for yeah. $15. Raleigh was quoted in the paper saying, Murfreesboro has grown and is growing to the point that another hardware store can help serve the people. Mm-hmm. We have confidence in the future of this city. And what's interesting is he had been employed uh, as a... As a store uh, employee with the Wilson Sporting Goods Company operation here in Murfreesboro at the time. So he was opening a business in competition uh, with his former employer. Uh, What's particularly interesting to me is the, and you can say this about a lot of family names, Mm -hmm. but the Holden name has done an awful lot of uh, important and uh, significant work in this community. Raleigh Jr., uh, my friend, and to me the the only uh, uh, really really good uh, locksmith in the area. Uh, he he's I, I say that because I've got a couple of antique properties and he's helped me with these old locks and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Uh, but his father, before he opened the business in '48. He re- his father was a veteran of World War II yeah. and uh, returned to Murfreesboro after the war and was approached by some business interests. Just before the war broke out, there was a push to establish what was then and now called the General Sessions Court. Mm-hmm. And what really was the interest was to limit the authority of the justices of the peace because they had quite a bit of judicial authority. Too much. Without any yeah. uh, real training requirements. They yeah. didn't have to be lawyers or anything. They could do civil cases. Uh, and uh, the quality of uh, the effort by the justices, the JPs we called them, uh, was variable. Some did a very good job on that side. Some were were motivated by the fees they could charge. Uh, And uh, the war kind of ended that uh, effort. But there were some very prominent names that were pushing that. One was A.L. Todd, probably the wealthiest and most influential man the first half of that century. Uh, And uh, they apparently approached a young Raleigh 
and persuaded him to run for the state legislature. And uh, he uh, ran against a couple of, uh, of the JPs who obviously were acting on their interest. And uh, he prevailed and went to the legislature. And just as soon as he settled in, he introduced a bill called a private act because it affected only one county mm-hmm. to, uh, well, the way it was built, it was to establish a general sessions court. Uh, the bill was very, very artfully written, although I'm sure Raleigh was a sharp uh, young man at the time. It clearly had been handwritten by someone with a legal background yeah. and uh, given to him to introduce. Uh, and he did in uh, 1947, and uh, according to his own comment in one of the newspapers, he says, I guess he aggravated every elected official in the county uh, by changing, dramatically changing the role of the, uh, what we now call county commissioners, the JPs of that time. Uh, He served one term and declined to run again, and uh, then uh, in that interim, started the business in 1948. So the system, the judicial system we now have in Rutherford County really is a result of the willingness of Raleigh Holden Sr. to uh, take up the cause uh, to stand for election and uh, introduce the bill and get it passed in the in the legislature. Now, were there other counties that had general sessions judges at the time, and did they have? Uh, did we have circuit judge at the time? What we would call circuit judge. Yeah, the circuit courts are of course state courts. Yeah. Uh, several of the more populated counties in Tennessee already had gone with the general sessions mm-hmm. system, and uh, it was the political influence of the JPs that held Rutherford back. Uh, during that time period. Uh, but uh, next time you're over at the hardware store and talking to Raleigh Jr., uh, remind him that we all appreciate his, his brother's effort, uh, his father's effort, excuse mm-hmm. me. And uh, also you can ask him who was Cecil Holden, uh, who was originally part of, of this business. Horace and Cecil Holden were involved in the early years of the, of the store. Was that Cecil or Cecil? You'll have to ask them. <laughs> you know, I had uh, relatives, I believe, worked with them uh, at the grocery store, and then they uh, started their own store on Woodbury Highway, and it's called uh, Andrews uh, Market. And um, and that was uh, Mary Bell, who was a Kathy, married to Andrew Parker's at the time. And a very... I don't know why, but there were a number of grocery stores out on Woodbury Highway during that particular time, which was um, which was amazing because I don't remember that heavy of a population during that time, but they were all very, very successful. Well, driving around Murfreesboro recently, uh, it's interesting. There are blocks where every city block there will be a little store mm-hmm. uh, the grocery business was very very personal and very local back uh, up until probably World War II yeah. and even some beyond that uh, it's amazing how you can 
go back in history and find how each business was created and who they were because that takes a lot of work and it's only somebody that is really interested in our community and our history can do that. Uh, well, I have said a number of times the information is there in many, many cases. Mm -hmm. It just takes a little while to run it down, but the official records, the business licenses, the uh, real estate licenses, uh, the uh, minutes of the meetings, uh, the records, uh, birth, death, uh, the obituaries. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of information that can be pulled together if you really want to see an accurate picture. And then there is the least reliable, but often the most interesting, which is what you can call anecdotal, what people remember. Yeah. And uh, uh, you learn quickly that, uh, or the memories can vary. Two people can be at the same event at the same time, and 20 years later, their, their recollections are vastly different. So that's a good place to start. Uh, somebody says such and such they remember, uh, but you need to go to the record and and sort it out. You know, the best way to judge what is happening in 2020, as we all look back, is go to a coffee shop. Now, you can get eight or ten guys sitting together at a table, and how they relate things will, will give you a little bit of a, a maybe a little spark in your head yeah. as to what people are going to be thinking about 2020. Uh, you know, you touch on where most of my research begins, and that is somebody mentions something. Yeah. Or somebody says they remember something. And uh, that's why just sitting and listening uh, is so important, particularly with people your age and, and a little bit older. Uh, get them to talking. And uh, most of the time they enjoy talking to someone who listens. Mm -hmm. uh, and we learn an awful lot, which is the beginning of the research to figure out just exactly what happened and what it means. Well, I have seen your face when we would be sitting at, say, at Sylvan Park, and either we were doing the radio show or whatever at the time, and people would make a, a run over to where you would be sitting because they wanted to share some of the things that uh, were important to them back in in either uh, their past history or their grandparents or whatever. They can go back 100, 150 years as far as a lot of deep roots right here in Rutherford County, and they mean a lot to the people that live here. Uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about Holden, that name comes up a number of times in our, in our history, particularly the early part of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, county fair was coming and going, struggling and prospering yeah. from time year to year. And I noticed that uh, C.W. Holden, which I believe is Raleigh Sr.'s father, I may get confused on the family relationships, but it's all the family. And then a Raleigh S. Holden uh, appear in these minutes of the old county fair. Mm -hmm. And uh, C.W., Charlie was one of the f founders of the resurrected county fair about that time. 
And then... Uh, was that Alpha 231 South? That yeah, one? The, yeah, the county fairgrounds were yeah. always... In fact, there's still a big open area that was part of the county fairground. And then I see a little later where uh, Raleigh Holden, who actually is a uncle mm -hmm. of Raleigh Sr. that we know, we're just talking about, uh, served as a vice president. So they were very much involved in uh, that aspect of our history the old county fair. More significantly though, in the early 1900s, the county commission, the county court as it was called back then, had to terminate the uh, positions of the committee or board that ran what then was called the uh, county farm, mm -hmm. colloquially called the poor farm. Yeah. And the reason being there was some evidence of corruption, uh, but clearly there was a financial uh, uh, failing there. And it had become quite a burden on the county budget. Uh, this was uh, probably one of the two or three most expensive items on the budget because the expenses were out of control. Mm -hmm. So the county commission terminated all of the board, appointed a new board, and instructed that board to hire a new administrator. Uh, they hired Raleigh Holden, uh, the uncle, and uh, he apparently had some uh, experience in that area to start with because when he came to the uh, physically relocated to the poor farm, which was then uh, had just recently been reestablished at uh, the same area where the community care facility is today, mm -hmm. he brought with him two uh I guess you could call them foster children. Uh, they weren't really adopted, but they had been taken in by Raleigh and his wife and cared for. Both of them were black. And they brought them to the farm. And over the years, those two became very uh, critically important uh, employees of the farm after they uh, outgrew the uh, dependent age. Uh, and at the same time, overlapping to some extent, C.W. Holden, the brother of the uh, poor farm administrator, mm -hmm. took over the county workhouse. So for a period there in 1900s up towards 1920, we had the Holdens managing two very important facilities in Rutherford County. Uh, the story unfortunately takes a tragic turn. Uh, one weekend, when families were visiting at the farm. Uh, Charlie came to spend the day with his brother and family. And uh, <clears throat> Raleigh was suffering with what today we'd know as staphylococcus infection mm. uh, and was not very able, but uh, they had dinner. And uh, others were visiting and uh, one of the residents there was visiting with some of his family and the visit was interrupted by one of the uh, residents there who was uh, mentally uh, deficient and uh, turned into a fight mm. between the two residents with visitors there. Raleigh was not able to react to it. So his brother Charlie said, you know, I'll take care of it again. With his experience to work workhouse, it was not unusual for him to be breaking up 
fights yeah. and put between the people. Uh, he went out, but uh, the uh, mentally deficient individual had picked up a pipe, a metal pipe, and had already severely injured uh, the first someone who tried to break it up, hitting him on the arm, broke the arm. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was escalating. And uh, Charlie went out and tried to break it up, and uh, the fella hit him in the head with the pipe. Mm and took him out quickly. At that point, and it's interesting because uh, somewhere in the literature, it notes that this individual, the troubled, the mentally troubled individual, uh, reacted differently to a woman. He would get very aggressive and hostile if confronted by a male. Yeah. But he very quickly would react very differently. And uh, one of the cooks came out and uh, stepped up and calmed him down, took the pipe away from him, walked him away. Uh, they picked up Charlie and took him into the house, and uh, the account says he was turning blue all over. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, they brought in medical help, which didn't help, and Charlie died uh, within a few days, never recovering. Now, today we probably would be able to treat a concussion which is what he had, apparently, a severe concussion. But in those days, that was a, a fatal blow. Was the workhouse still only handling misdemeanor prisoners at that time? I'm not sure at that time. Because I know that they had a pretty strict rule with them as far as they, they called them chain gangs at that time. Yeah. And uh, they were pretty well controlled by whatever means that they had uh, available at the time. Mm -hmm. So I always, I, I know that there was a time during our past that they actually did have people that were on chain gangs that were probably felons uh, or uh, pretty, pretty tough felons at the time. Well, we all remember the work crews out of the workhouse. In yeah. fact, uh, until this uh, pandemic situation, we expected to see them regularly along the highways. Uh, the actual chain gangs, I can remember traveling through Mississippi, Alabama, and seeing the work crews actually in chains. I'm not sure what the... Yeah, I saw them here. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I can't tell you at this time who took over the workhouse after Charlie was uh, killed. But uh, as I said, the Holden names, Holden continued to manage the poor farm, the county farm, and very successfully uh, made it almost self-sustaining. Mm. And uh, is particularly uh, remembered in, well, you may remember a conversation we had a couple of years ago. Uh, I came across one uh, elderly resident here who wanted me to call him Pumpkin because that was his childhood nickname mm -hmm. and uh, he was there during a lot of this activity and uh, uh, almost well he did he idolized the Holden family because they took care of him he and his mother went to the poor farm fairly early in his life in fact oh yeah he was born there wow yeah and uh, uh, pumpkin has since we've lost him but uh, he was one of my best sources Again, he told me what he remembered, 
and then we went to the the records, and uh, most of it bore out. Well, you know, it, it later became it was under the road superintendent, in the road superintendent. You're talking about the workhouse. Yeah, the workhouse. Yeah, yeah, and we're talking about road gangs and chain gangs and things like that. Yeah. Um, they did a good job. In fact, they kept our roads in pretty good shape back in those days. But, of course, having them all chained together was not a, a... It wouldn't be allowed in this day and time. Well, knowing... Uh, we very much appreciate the litter patrol that comes up and down Bradable Pike. Uh, of course, they're not chained. They're they're out. Yeah, they're, loose as a goose, as you can say. Yeah, and I, I've always wondered if you really wanted to walk away, it wouldn't be hard to do. Uh, but also, I appreciate that they can widely range, because the uh, fast food bags blow, and they'll be over into the yards and everything. You must have a lot of political connections living out there, in 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 the. Um, you know the upper class area of Bradleville Pike. I mean, you guys are just—I mean, you get all the best uh, treatment out there. See, I don't ever see those guys out my way on Manchester Highway. Well, that's a state route. Yeah. <laughs> or actually, a well, we get dirty just like the rest of you. No, it's a federal highway. They don't throw litter out on the federal highway. They oh, don't. they don't. Oh no, surely not. I wonder why I have to go. Well, I do take my trash out on Bradleville Road, and they do a great job out there. The convenience. Center. Yeah, the convenience yeah. center. Uh, yeah. uh, we're going to take a quick break, and of course, we will be right back with Greg Tucker. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Adams Place is a premier senior living facility in Murfreesboro. Our residents say the chefs at Adams Place run the area's best restaurant. Call us at Adams Place and arrange a tour today. Adams Place Residential Living Director Terry Deal. Offering independent living, assisted living, memory care, health care center, and on-site rehabilitation. Adams Place is at 1927 Memorial Boulevard. Bud's Tire Pros makes buying tires simpler, so you can get back to when being on the move was carefree. For a limited time, get up to a $120 reward card after submission when you bundle at least two new qualifying Michelin or BF Goodrich passenger or light truck tires, as well as select Michelin motorcycle, scooter, and bicycle tires. Or get a $120 reward card per purchase of four new Michelin Cross Climate 2 tires. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. Find out more at BudsTireProsTN.com. See store for complete details, offers, Valid from November 18th, 2020 through December 9th, 2020. Void where prohibited. Hi, this is Lisa Halliburton with Bell Jewelers. Bell Jewelers is celebrating 142 years in business. We appreciate your trust in us. We do all of our jewelry repair in-house. Nothing leaves unless you know about it. We just appreciate you shopping local and shopping family business. We have something for everyone in all price ranges. So come see us at Bell Jewelers, Northwest Broad Street, across from Toots Restaurant. Start your day with the Wake Up Room with John Dinkins, Brian Barrett, and Dalton Barrett. 1874, Robert Frost was born, a poet. He was a poet and didn't know it. No. <laughs> One of the 
intellectual discussion that goes on in this morning show. <laughs> News, traffic, weather, and fun every morning. Maybe, Maybe you ought to take uh, Dalton to the Nashville Zoo. Right. He would just blend in. <laughs> the Wake Up Crow. Weekday morning, 6 to 7.50 on News Radio WGNS. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Firefighters got a call about 12.30 Saturday afternoon about a house fire on Asbury Lane. First units on the scene reported heavy smoke and flames already coming through the front door. 54-year-old Lloyd Chisholm was killed and three others taken to the ER at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Chief Larry Farley told News Radio WGNS. Well, our units arrived on the scene. They met the lady who lived there and then she'd been overcome with smoke. And uh, she said that her husband was in the front bedroom right there. So two of our guys advanced inside the structure. They had heavy smoke and fire showing in the front door. They tried to do a quick search in the front bedroom. Both of them ended up being burnt pretty bad. We transported them to the hospital with minor injuries. Unfortunately, the gentleman succumbed to the fire. The house is pretty much stove lost at this point. Rutherford County Fire and Rescue, Almoville Fire Department, Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue, Rutherford County Emergency Medical Services, and the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office all work the blaze. The family of Baylor Bramble says the former Seagull High School football player is dead. David Bramble confirmed that his son died Saturday a few days after undergoing nasal surgery to help with his breathing problems and nosebleeds. Bramble was 16 in 2015 when he collapsed during a game from bleeding on the brain. Family thanks supporters for their prayers and kindness over the past five-plus years. Murfreesboro Mayor Shane McFarland proclaimed January 2nd Baylor Bramble Day in the city of Murfreesboro. Socialize with us on social media. Log on to Facebook.com slash WGNS Radio and click the like button. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. In retirement, it's all about income, your money, making money, and you're not spending down your principal. That's the way we do it at Retirement Income Solutions. So if you're spending down your principal or your money's not making money, keeping you ahead of inflation, check us out today at risolutions.net, risolutions.net. And make sure to join us Saturdays at noon and Sunday afternoons at 1 for Retirement Income Solutions Radio with Nathan Cox and Lindsay Cotter. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Partial sunshine develops here this afternoon. We'll see high in the mid-50s. Winds out of the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy, low near 36. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 33. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. 
And welcome back with Greg Tucker. You know, you like movies. You, you like old movies, I know. But I think there was one movie that I saw this last week with uh, Tom Hanks in it. And it's a Western, believe it or not. But it's it's right at the end of the, the war of uh, northern aggression that uh, he was a Confederate soldier. And he's down in Texas. And... Uh, he, um, he, like most people after the war, he, he really didn't see much um, that he could be able to do. So he was, he was an educated man. So he started reading papers. Now, you would love this. I could see you in that position. What kind of papers? Uh, newspapers. And uh, he would take the newspapers, and, and uh, <coughs> as he would get them, he would travel from city to city, and uh, he would charge uh, people to come in and listen to him read the news, which was, which was really interesting. But it was one of the more fascinating movies. That if 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 you're listening, you need to go uh, over at Premier Six there on Broad Street and look at it. It's called the News Something Another. And uh, interesting. Yeah. And it was—it's a, a fascinating movie, and and the little girl in that movie, and Tom Hanks, their relationship. She's ten years old. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, your little princess, but she's a little bit older, of course. But uh, if you love great movies, you got to go by and see that movie. It's just absolutely uh, out of this world. It's—it's it's very unusual in this day and time. Playing now at the Premier Six. Premier Six. Jackson Square. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. And you and you don't want to miss it. I, I I'm serious about that. I could go watch it three or four times. Well, let's see. I got an interesting email uh, over the weekend. Uh, Bonnie, a friend in the uh, Rutherford County Historical Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, had, on, had been walking some in her neighborhood and uh, walked along Portland Street mm-hmm. and was curious about uh, Cortland Street. And uh, I had uh, the same curiosity, uh, particularly when I came across some references to it back in some early 20th century writings. Cortland Street is between North Manny and North Academy. And at the turn of the century, uh, Manny in particular, Academy a little bit less, but still were prosperous white communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cortland was little more than an alley between the two initially. Uh, but in reading some of the accounts uh, written about that area, I kept seeing references to the uh, domestic help uh, and where they lived and the convenience of the location. And it appears, again, looking at the records of the property and such, that Cortland Street was the neighborhood for the domestic help, which worked the big houses, the prosperous, fluent houses on North Manny and on North Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to some of the city directories where they take each street and identify each person along the street, the business, whatever. 
and the entire Cortland Street from where it did ends now on the uh, Murfreesboro Housing Authority fence right there next to Oakland. And then it ends on the south side at Bell Street. The entire street, every residence, every house was occupied by a black family. And uh, you can tell because the old directory is looking at uh, the latest one that uh, is complete, 1940. They indicate the race of every resident hmm. uh, in that uh, directory. And every single house on Cortland Street as late as 1940 was a black family. And if you look at the North Manny, uh, that's a white neighborhood, and Academy uh, is a white neighborhood. So uh, reading through, in particular, the uh, uh, writings of Elizabeth House, Mrs. Granville Ridley, mm -hmm. uh, she discusses the uh, help. Uh, her father was a bank president, First National Bank of Murfreesboro, prosperous family. And she had a nanny, and she had a cook, and she had a gardener, and they had a driver. And all of them lived on uh, Cortland Street. And uh, today, apparently, the street is still very much uh, reflects that ethnic makeup. Uh, it's interesting how this little narrow neighborhood mm -hmm. in a part of town which is not generally associated with the black community, at least not back in that time, uh, served uh, advantage for, for both races. The blacks were conveniently located close to their places of employment. Mm -hmm. And of course, it made it easier for the uh, employees, employers, excuse me, uh, to find help because you know it's in that neighborhood right there. You know, that's interesting because around 12th Avenue South, uh, um, there are, are some places out that way in Nashville that uh, were um, kind of um, unusual areas because right on the very end of them, I can't think of the name of the street. You probably know it, but... Uh, there were very nice, large homes right at the very end of it. And all of those homes had been changed hands to the servants that worked for the people who owned those homes. And I thought, uh, I, I mean, some of them were well over uh, 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 300 square feet on beyond that. And... and uh, um, uh, there was some even three stories high. But the people who lived there were just amazing. They, they were some of the nicest people you've ever run into. And I never will forget, there was a, one of the ladies that was in, had the house all to herself, and she had developed cancer, and I would go visit her. I mean, she just, it, it hurt. she was in such pain. And why she wasn't in a hospital, I don't know. But... Uh, uh, it, it was fascinating to go through there because that very few people could afford those homes when they were in their heyday. I mean, they're just absolutely gorgeous homes. And you, I, I, maybe you, it'll hit you, but I cannot think of the name of that neighborhood. But it it was Edge, fascinating to me. Edgefield. Yeah, Edgefield. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, they were the nicest people you'd ever run into. Yeah, Belmont College is expanding all through that area, and of course, Music Row is right just beyond it. Uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, is it Edgefield or Edge Hill? I believe it's Edgefield. Yeah. Uh, not real sure. Uh, oh, and back to Cortland. Uh, the city directory also indicates whether the property is owned by the resident or not. And I'd say about 15, 16 of the, remember it's only about a four block area, about mm -hmm. 15 or 16 of the houses were owned by the residents. And in the uh, house diaries, Elizabeth House, her, her diaries, she mentions that her father helped one of the domestic employees mm -hmm. uh, to buy a property in Cortland and uh, make that their home. Now, we 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 know how history is. I mean, uh, we've either lived it or or uh, have people communicating how it was back then. And I, as the number one historian that I've known in in uh, in, in this area. If you were looking back into the year, th this has been the most unusual year that I have ever experienced. I mean, we've gone through wars and everything else like that, but this is um, this election year and all the things that were involved, the way that people have reacted to things. Um, if you were writing the history of 2000. And 20, and what it meant, and how we reacted to things. How would how would you be able to explain why and how and when all these things uh, actually? Uh, how how we met all of the tough decisions we had to make. Well, first you need the perspective of about a generation, 30 mm -hmm. years before you begin to be able to draw those kind of conclusions. Uh, almost get beyond the personal recollection. So you start going back and really, you know, trying to research it. Uh, so right now, I'm sure everybody's reaction is very similar to mine, and that is it was chaotic. We couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure that if we got four or five of us together now, we could uh, come up with the same recollection of six months ago uh, because of how chaotic it was. Uh, but I disagree with the initial impression that it's the worst ever. I was reading just a couple of days ago a detailed account of the uh, epidemic in 1917, 18, 19. And uh, that one, there were three waves and uh, the first and the second were more than what we've experienced uh, in the entire so-called pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, 600,000 American deaths and an incredible number of millions worldwide. Uh, and no real science back then uh, that no one believed at all that, we, that, that there was a vaccine or a way to be vaccinated against uh, this Spanish flu, as some many people call it. Uh, so, you know, we've been through worse. And uh, yeah, I know the pandemic has not uh, moved on, mm -hmm. but uh, I would be amazed if it even approached 
the level of period back there after World War One. The fact of the World War, of course, aggravated the uh, the losses in the epidemic. We've talked about how uh, the rural population, uh, much of it was drafted or volunteered, joined the military and went into highly concentrated living arrangements mm -hmm. where you know something like the flu could just spread overnight. Uh, and uh, after the first wave of it in the uh, civilian population, and they started breathing easy again, you know, well, we weathered that, and then a month or two later it hit a second time. Uh, and I believe the second wave was, history considers it the worst. But then uh, after that weathered out, again, people dropped their guard and had a third wave of it. So if we're going to learn a little bit from history, it might suggest that, uh, you know, this pandemic, we're not through with it yet. Uh, how we react to it is evolving rapidly, but uh, we're not out of the woods yet on that. I think sometimes when things happen like they have this last year, of course the presidential election did not help anything. I mean, it, it just absolutely pulled people apart, which which um, uh, I, I, n I never could understand why there was such a panic over what was going on during that particular time. But um, I, um, I hope it's a long time before we ever go through another year. It may not have been the worst, but uh, you had, a, you had a, the national media that was absolutely driving a wedge in, in between everybody. And uh, instead of reporting the news, they were they were giving their own personal feelings and own own personal uh, view of what was actually happening instead of giving the proper news, which that's always a dangerous type precedent. I mean, you can you can look at uh, third world countries or communistic uh, countries that uh, that they, they control the people with that type of news and and. Uh, I I um I had a hard time with 2020 because I wasn't used to the type of reaction that we were getting here in this in this country. Well, it was interesting how the media and even the comic strips, which I read yeah. faithfully, Doonesbury made, made such a big deal out of the ending of 2020. I mean, even the uh, those that are strictly. Uh, 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 intended for amusement dropped into you know saying goodbye to 2020 and getting rid of and the relief and yeah. all that uh, asked in a discussion I said well my reaction to 2021 is it may well be a carbon copy of 2020 with just some different personalities but uh, I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of change uh, and uh, I was told that uh, I should back off that. Maybe a reflection of 2020 is what we'll see in 2021. Uh, but I'm not looking for everybody to wise up and start working together. I'm afraid we've gone too far. It's going to take a while to put us back together. It became personal, didn't it? Oh, very much so. So that uh, people are judging who's going to be their friend based upon political views, that's not healthy. Yeah, we, d we not only have the, the media, but we have 
people who are uh, athletes, uh, people who are movie stars, um, people who really have the best of everything, they seem to have such a negative response and you kind of wonder about what if, what if those people who are uh, given their particular opinions were like us? Maybe they were uh, uh, law enforcement officers, uh, uh, medical people, uh, people that uh, are out working the streets and all those type things. Uh, how would their uh, views be? Uh, most of those are very positive and, and love the country that they live in. Uh, they wouldn't have anything else, but yet they don't have the splendor and all the money of these other people that uh, just want to take it down. And uh, I know when uh, when they come against everything that's right in our country. Um, anyway, I've said too much already. I just get. I shouldn't. I, I'm doing what I, I, I say, and these others are doing. They're 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 giving their particular opinion and feelings about what's going on instead of reporting the real news, and and you don't you don't see that much anymore. Well, we all look out for our own interests, and uh, sometimes uh, in the history and those who write the history for whatever reason, they're embarrassed by the fact that uh, much of our uh, history is influenced so strongly by the individual self-interests that are yeah. involved. And uh, we were listening earlier to some discussion about Civil War history around when the uh, first occupation of Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, became obvious uh, even before it happened. But Nashville went under occupation, you remember, very early. Mm -hmm. And there was anticipation that uh, the Union Army would move south very quickly, as it did. We call that the first occupation. Uh, but before that, the biggest landowners, uh, the most prominent uh, names in the community, tried a, uh, for lack of a better word, a rapprochement with the Union Army. And there's actually a list uh, because a petition was circulated uh, and uh, the point of it was an attempt to cooperate with the pending occupation. Mm -hmm. And you see on that list, which is in the Spence journals, uh, names which later are identified with the Confederacy and the resistance. But initially it was, uh, hey, this is inevitable. We need to uh, take care of our own interest. And uh, there was actually the Union Army declined to accept the uh, overture. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, unfortunately, in some senses. So we have some of the major families and, and bigger landholdings uh, were treated favorably, uh, although not formally, and others were you know, targeted, uh, and uh, a lot of it comes out of that, I think, that initial effort to try to accommodate uh, the Union Army and the, uh, you know, that side of the, of the pending war, really before the, certainly before the Battle of uh, Stones River, I'm mm -hmm. talking about a year ahead of that, a year and a half ahead of that, 
uh, but uh, even uh, the histories written by both sides uh, tend to uh, overlook that there was an effort there to protect our personal individual holdings and uh, circumstances. But the small business people, the small farmers, were not part of that. They were the ones right. whose families, they lost the, their homes, right. everything. Well, those that insist that the entire war was about slavery might want to look at this period. And I'm sure this is repeated all over the South because uh, it was the, the big landowners, i.e. the big slave owners, were the ones that were trying to accommodate uh, the Union in army and, and the objectives of the army. The, yeah. one, the small ones that ended up doing the trench warfare uh, had no interest of that sort. And that's, that's pretty much the shame of it all when you think about it. All those uh, young uh, people who lost their lives, uh, brothers, uncles, whatever. And the small farmer, the scratch yeah. farmer, the merchant who you know, lost their livelihood. Yeah. Uh, really didn't have any interest there to start with. And the people who have caught the worst of this as far as how it, the war was looked at, they are probably the biggest losers in the whole war when you think about it because uh, everything just went against everything that they had worked hard for and most of them did it with their own hands and 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 the families that were involved and yet uh, i mean there are accounts of people who were actually murdered by the invaders who, who people who were not even involved in the war itself I mean, it, it's, it's just a, it was a sad commentary. It was just one of those wars that no good came out of it whatsoever, it, it, except maybe a uh, hundred years later or, or whatever. It's it, it just, uh, it was a sad, sad thing. And people had to rebuild all the things that they had built during the, that particular war. And, uh, and it probably was a war that could have been uh, uh, evaded anyway. It, it was my understanding that they were attempting to legislate certain things that would be on the best side of everybody before it ever happened. Right. Well, let's let's try to end on a more positive note. I predict that in 2021 we will not be devastated by the tornadoes, which we've almost forgotten. But in the early 2020. Uh, the first quarter of 2020, we had a period of terrible uh, disasters caused by nature. And I predict that we're going to be spared that this time through. Now, if people are worried about that or have some concerns, uh, call Greg Tucker, or, or uh, you can relate to him over the radio, uh, about how he's coming about these predictions. Because there's very few people that can control the weather, but I put it right in his hands. He has said something that's probably going to be three percent accurate. <laughs> no, the point being. Uh oh, here we go. The point being that I think the weather is more predictable now 
than the way we're going to relate to each other politically. You think so? Yeah. All right. I like that. Are we are we through? You've been looking at me like, oh, yeah, we've run out of time, haven't we? Yeah, we've run out of time, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you in the morning, I think, at 9 o'clock. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.